This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. There's a lot of office buildings downtown and not a lot of people in them. There's also a dire need in Denver for more affordable places to live. So could those vacant floors be the solution to our housing woes? Yes. Well, kinda. It's complicated. So we called up an OG urban planner, real estate economist, and my former boss to find out how your old office break room could be someone's new studio apartment. Today is Monday, August 14th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. here with my producer, Paul Caroli. Hey, Bree. And we have a special guest new to the show, first timer, Brad Siegel. Welcome to CityCast Denver. Well, thank you, Bree, and I'm thrilled to be debuted today. <laughs> so, Brad, when we work together, I feel like you here kind Here in of, this office. In the office we're in, off where of we're Colfax right we're sitting on beautiful right Colfax Avenue. <laughs> you loved being in the office. You loved when we were all in the office. Is that still true? That's still true. In fact, there were days in 2020, 2021, I was the only person in this building. Probably the whole block. <laughs> Maybe the whole block. Absolutely. But you were still here. I, you know, I'm I'm a boomer that is in that habit and didn't give it up. Huh. <laughs> if you're detecting some undertones of uh, nuance here, it's because we're talking about a big topic here. This very office underutilized like many others here in Denver. Uh, and that's what we're going to talk about. What, what can we do about it? Can we maybe make it into housing? So where I want to start is a piece of data from this New York Magazine story that came out a couple of weeks ago. It said 70% of New York's commercial real estate needed to be either redeveloped, repurposed, or demolished because there's basically no demand for ugly old buildings and bad locations. <laughs> Brad, do you know what it's like here in Denver? What's the equivalent? Is it 70%? That's like... That was that shocked me. Yeah, no, that sounds like an overstatement. So in terms of repurposing, I think there's going to be more repurposing than converting. And repurposing is updating these office buildings so that they'll attract workers. A lot of them were not built with amenities that people want today. And then, of course, the issue of conversion. How many of these can we convert to residential? Because we've got a housing crisis. Yeah, that's the piece that I think we're really curious about is those residential conversions. Is that feasible? It is, but there is nuance in that. So architecturally, office buildings have changed format uh, over the last hundred years. And the easiest buildings to convert are uh, pre-mid-century, 20th century office buildings. And the reason why they're easier to convert is before the 1950s, office buildings were built to have windows, to have air, and also to have light. 
And then we invented air conditioning and we invented fluorescent lighting. Mm -hmm. And And we invented the conference room with no windows. So, yeah. So that's what changed office building design was in the 60s, 70s, 80s, because we now had air conditioning and fluorescent lights. You have these large floor plates, which are great for offices, but they kind of suck for everything else, including residential. And is that when most of Denver's office buildings were built then? Is that post-war period where they kind of got different? That's where Denver's going to be challenged because most, particularly in downtown Denver, most of our pre-1950 office buildings have already been converted to residential. Really? Yes. Hmm. There was a lot of this activity. This wasn't new. There's a lot of activity over the last 30 years in terms of residential downtown. But Denver does have a high concentration of buildings that were built uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. There was an oil boom at the time. A lot of money flowed in here from Canada to build those buildings, and they are the most difficult to convert moving forward. What makes it so hard to, beyond something like natural light being not there, and yeah, what what would make a, a 70s office building hard to turn into housing? Well, one is floor plate. They're large floor plates, and that's because of the air conditioning and the fluorescent lights. And when you say floor plate, you just mean... The plan of the floor or the layout or? The, the size of the floor. So okay. if you go to the 10th floor in an old building, there may be 15,000 square feet and it's narrow because there's windows. And it was engineered also for, for an office environment that doesn't resonate with people today. So it was engineered for cubicles and for corner offices and and all of that. And these, these buildings built in that era, built in the 70s, 80s, 90s, are incredibly expensive to retrofit for residential. So for example, in New York City, where, where, where they can afford to do this, they're actually carving out the centers of the buildings of that era to create windows and air, Atriums essentially and creating a donut. I mean, think of uh, Republic Plaza downtown, which is the tallest building in Denver. It's a big square, gray building, tallest building. Imagine putting a donut hole through that thing for 58 floors to make it habitable. So that's that's incredibly expensive and can happen in a New York and, and maybe some of these high price markets. It's going to be a while before that can happen in Denver. Why is that? Why is that? Why is it more expensive there? Is there no is there not enough potential profit for the developer here? Or like well, does the market well, it, not it's have it? It's not it's not so much that's more expensive there. It's it's because the housing market is more expensive there and they can get more for rent. So as as bad as our housing market is in Denver um, it's not bad enough that it would be right, exactly. appealing so, to developers. So, so, so this is where the economics here for the next few years, there's going to be an interesting dance because um, we have this, um, this, this astounding affordable housing crisis, and then we have this supply of buildings that are largely empty, and one would think, oh, let's, let's just use those. The, the problem is the, the supply of buildings doesn't match the demand. The demand is for more affordable units. But the supply being these newer, sort of antiquated now, they're only 40, 50 years old, but you can't do a lot with them. Because of the expense of converting them today, you're going to have a limited market. You're going to have limited demand of who will want to live in a high-priced corner of an office building. Yeah. Yeah. From that same New York Magazine article, there was a detail about the one residential conversion I think you're talking about where um, it was like some high percentage of the units that are now actually being offered have their own private offices in them. Like that's the chief amenity is they just like left some of the offices as they were. Yeah. 
It makes sense. I mean, I'm thinking about the office we're in right now, Brad. What is your office building? It's a converted... Well, it's a converted brothel <laughs> is where we are. So so we are located above uh, the, the Sid Kings. Used to have burlesque here. Um, for anyone, I, I grew up in Denver. Not that I knew Sid Kings necessarily, but I grew up in Denver. And for those of us who were here in the 70s and 80s, this was a legendary building. So you had the first floor was burlesque. And then the upper floors where we are right now were an auxiliary residential use to what was downstairs. <laughs> so now it's office over, uh, over restaurant. But it's also beautiful brick, exposed brick, right. giant yeah. windows. The things you're saying, these these buildings from the 70s and 80s don't have. Correct. Yeah. And these smaller, older buildings throughout town, they're going to do just fine. It's, it's, it's again, it's really this. And so, so downtown Denver, the tech center is another area of concern because you have the same yes. era buildings. So where you have 70s, 80s, 90s office buildings, they are going to be the real challenge over the next two, three, four years. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. This episode is brought to you by the Denver Botanic Gardens. It's time for the 75th annual spring plant sale at the Denver Botanic Gardens. Mark your calendars for Friday and Saturday, May 10th and 11th. Admission is free, but you must register in advance at botanicgardens.org. Registering my husband, Greg, right now for the plants I want him to pick out and plant in our yard for me. <laughs> Shop from 15 different plant divisions, including annuals, houseplants, herbs and veggies, and specialties like aquatics, container garden in a bag, and plants grown right at the gardens. The garden's horticulture staff will be on site to answer any and all plant questions you may have. This sale emphasizes water smart and native plants that are perfect for our semi-arid climate. They'll be great for a beautiful landscape that doesn't require a bunch of water. For more details, registration information, and a catalog of available plants, go to botanicgardens.org. That's botanicgardens.org. What you're saying is like it's too expensive to create housing out of these buildings because retrofitting them takes so much money that you would need to charge more money to make it worth it for a developer to turn it into housing in the first place. So does that mean Denver will be left with a bunch of that era building that are just empty? Um, what do you in the near term, yes, but at least my best guess of of how this could all sort out in the next few years. And it's going back in time a little bit. So in the 80s, I used to work in uh, economic development in downtown Denver. And the 80s was a time of overbuilding and then an economic collapse. And downtown Denver was able to 
regenerate and rejuvenate in part because values of buildings fell precipitously back in the 80s. And when the valuation fell enough, that allowed people to come in and do different things. So I would expect that in many of these buildings that are difficult to either lease or retrofit, you're going to see their valuations fall now over the next several years. And as those valuations fall, they'll hit a sweet spot where it makes sense for someone to come in and do the retrofit. Yeah. So, so I someone I, will see potential. Yeah, someone will see potential. And and the other thing I'll say is this is a national phenomenon. So architects all over the country right now are mobilizing around this. They're they're trying to figure out how do we do this? How do we retrofit these buildings? And it may not just be for housing. There are also ways to retrofit these buildings to make them better offices. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see some of these buildings, they create suddenly rooftop gardens or they shave off the floor and convert it into some wonderful lounge and common yeah, area. Some charming amenity. Some charming amenity. People down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love your optimism, uh, Brad, but I, <laughs> I, I have to ask because there is this part of me, you know, I'm alone late at night. I'm worrying about commercial real estate. <laughs> Of course you are, Paul. So, you're, Paul, you're probably in the wrong business. You, you think? Yeah. You know, my, my dad is an economist. So well, I, there you go. That's where I get it from. <laughs> it's his fault. Um, but I wonder about what happens when these leases start expiring. Yeah. The pre-pandemic leases that are maybe still, you know, halfway through, uh, managers are like, we should really be trying to use this, right? And employees are like, no, no. We're not, not coming it. back. Doesn't work for me. Not going to happen. The company gives up its lease. What if that happens like en masse? What if there's a big glut of these? Can the economic system, in your opinion, can the banks handle that? Well, it's, I mean, yeah, it's a good question. It's a good reason. I don't think you need to lose sleep about that, but I think, you know, it's it's definitely on point in terms of what's happening in the economics of these buildings. Um, it's already happening. Mm. So it's already happening on a certain scale and there already are valuation drops on some of the key buildings in downtown Denver because of the very phenomenon you're talking about. So where we're going to land on return to work uh, is likely some sort of hybrid model is going to be the dominant model where people are coming to the office two, three, four days a week. Seems that but, way. But the five-day-a-week work week is it's gone. Over. That's over. So you, are, you do have companies that they're not abandoning buildings, but they're downsizing their buildings or they're reconfiguring their space to create those amenities to bring the employees down even the three, four days a week. But what you are seeing is you're seeing um, higher vacancies. Denver has some of the highest vacancies of any downtown across the country right now, and you're seeing valuations starting to drop. And when those valuations start to drop, that's what creates the stress with the banks who have the loans. Because those loans were made pre-pandemic when those buildings were worth, in some cases, twice as much as they were than they were today. So I mentioned earlier that I used to work in economic development in the mid-80s in downtown Denver. And at that time, a good chunk of downtown Denver was owned by banks because of the distress and... Hmm. There was something called a savings and loans crisis. You can look that one up. <laughs> but the banks are in better shape today. So what we're seeing is banks are, are readjusting loans. They're holding on to the loans where in the past they would have acquired the real estate. They've mm. been there, done that. They don't want to acquire all this real estate again. So what we're seeing initially is banks are softening up these loans, allowing these owners to continue to own these buildings, even if they're 
you know, 30, 40% vacant or, or underutilized. That's a really good sign. I love, so we're now talking about like this, uh, the next step, the future, the spark and the optimism, which is the stuff that gets me really excited. And I know, you know, you think about that as well, downtowns across the country, how to revitalize them, how to bring energy back. What do you think it's going to take here? What do you think that looks like here? Well, I think it's already happening here on on a number of levels. So um, beyond the buildings themselves, th this is also a time where downtown Denver needs to rethink um, its public spaces. So we've talked today hmm. about how amenities in buildings are helping buildings get leased or get reused. The same is true for a downtown or even a neighborhood. And downtown Denver desperately needs more amenities. What kinds of things would you like to see down there, Brad? Uh, more green space, more trees, more more outdoor experiences. We've got this amazing climate, you know, where we've got 300 plus days of sunshine, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but we've got one of the most very stark, inhumane, hard-edged downtowns in the country. There's just tons of concrete down there. There's not a lot of relief. So rethinking the public spaces downtown. You know, Union Station is probably the best example of a program space that works well. We'll see what happens on the 16th Street Mall with the uh, the new design there. And then the real pearl that we've got to polish and do something wonderful with is Civic, Civic Center. Center. Yeah. 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 Um, it's a really special space. It's a really special. I was just there last week. I had the privilege of doing jury duty, which is <laughs> Good story, for you. story for another time. <laughs> um, but was able to enjoy uh, that space for three days, and and man, it is beautiful down there. You like and go out and eat lunch in the park? Go, yeah, of course, go out eat lunch in the park. But um, the it park looks great. You know, it it fell into hard times during the pandemic, but the city, to its credit, has put a lot of energy into it, and the flowers look great, the grass looks great, it's comfortable, it's a great place to be. That needs to be just just a program active gathering space that we that we really welcome everybody in this community to. Yeah. And then lastly, there's smaller spaces that could be amenitized throughout downtown. You think just like parking lots or like... Well, some of these buildings we're talking about, I mean, we're not going to be able to convert all of them. And, and I think it's not unthinkable that uh, a handful of these buildings eventually come down. Uh, really? Because you just can't reuse them. Uh, but instead of just building right back up, we should look at the land and look at, can we create amenities that are going to actually increase value on what's around them? And if we're really strategic about it, we could we could look at these areas that have these high concentration of buildings and, you know, do we take one or two of them out and convert that space into, into something really special? So going back to this office conversion is this potential idea for something that we could do to provide housing. Do you see that being something that like our new mayor should add to his portfolio? I mean, we we of know ideas? he's working on it. We know he's working on it. It's something he said he's interested in. Of office conversion. Uh, yeah, do you he's, think he's that's talked about it, yeah. A viable housing I, option? I think I think until I think in the near term it's gonna be tough until these valuations drop. But I do think there's gonna be an opportunity in the next three to five years as this all shakes out to identify buildings and or lots. That um, maybe the city could yeah, acquire? that maybe the city could acquire or urban renewal authority still exists. Um, it's actually done some good things in the last 20 years <laughs> after it destroyed half of downtown. So um, that, that's going to be another important thing. That's going to be a different mindset. 
but are, are we going to be able to wrap our heads around that, hey, downtown's actually going to need some help here over the next, at least the next five years. I, I'm very optimistic. I think we're going to end up with a better city. I think we're going to end up with a better mix of uses down there. I think we're going to end up with amenities that actually we want to go down and see on a regular basis. Uh, but I do think it's going to take at least five years for all of that to shake out. And then maybe, who knows, another five, ten years to realize. Well, Brad Siegel, Paul, thanks for joining me. Thank you, CityCast. Enjoyed it. After talking to Brad, me and Paul were even more curious about the future of downtown, and we want to hear from you. What's the downtown amenity that would lure you back to the office? Is there literally anything that would get you out of sweatpants? Let us know. Leave us your idea and your name and neighborhood on the Downtown Rebound hotline at 720-500-5418. And thanks to Laura from Fort Collins for pitching that hotline name. That number again to the Downtown Rebound hotline is 720-500-5418. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. Micro-communities. Mayor Mike Johnston released a list of 197 locations across the city that he's considering for safe outdoor spaces, tiny home villages, and other ways to house people living on the streets. The announcement comes as Johnston is attempting to house 1,000 people by the end of 2023. The sites are predominantly concentrated in historically underserved communities, according to Axios Denver, though Johnston says he plans to bring micro-communities to neighborhoods across the city equally. Johnston is expected to publish a revised list of possible sites later this week. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell the owner of the Republic Plaza about us? Rate the show five stars wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. That's the thing I think that like is just like not realistic about these presentations of ourselves on Instagram. I'm like, cottagecore is cool, but it's not really what it looks like for most people.